So if we say there is no ultimate absolute principle behind anything, then there is no purpose, direction or meaning to learn. Then we may ask the person, why are you going on this journey? You're not going on this journey to eat chicken and chapatis, because that you can do anyway. That's incidental. There must be some purpose for your journey. Why are you traveling? That may be to meet friends, to go for a job appointment, to sell my goods. There's so many people, so many reasons why people travel. They have some purpose. So you cannot say that life is completely purposeless or meaningless. At least if you meet a person on the train, on a journey, if he says, well, I don't believe life has any purpose, you say, well, why are you going on this journey? Is there no purpose? And if there's no purpose, then why did you book a reservation and, and get on the journey? That's, that's just like madness. In, in general human society, if, if a person was to do like that, just for no reason, then book a ticket on a train and go from one place to another with absolutely no particular reason for doing so. Then uh, not only would be they mad, mad, but they wouldn't have much. They wouldn't have any means of subsistence because you have to work, do a job to get some money in a regulated, ordered way. So, if our argumentative atheist on the train, we're just postulating a situation. Discussing as it occurs in practical preaching. <coughs> so uh, there's purpose to life. No one can say there's no purpose. And uh, well, you may say, well, everyone has a different purpose. But uh, That, that, is un, that is unprovable, you may say everyone has a different purpose, but that is as un, that's also a blind faith. That says, if you say that, we say that there's an ultimate purpose, you may say, well, that's blind faith. And your idea that the, there is no purpose or, or uh, that everyone has their own purpose, that is also blind faith. And if you say that everyone has their own purpose, or that there is no particular purpose, you still cannot avoid the fact that everyone is controlled. So, you may think we have, there's no purpose, or I have my own, I just do as I like. But the fact is that we are controlled by time, we are forced to die. In so many ways we are forced to do so many things. So, that there is a power superior to us is axiomatic to all but a rascal. 
that there is an ultimate purpose of life is a more reasonable proposition than that there is no ultimate purpose. Persons who want to avoid admitting such points, they will go off on many, they will attempt to go off on many tangential discussions. They'll say something, they'll, they'll throw in something which has nothing to do with the discussion, something like well, how do we believe that? How can we believe that Vedic Vyasa actually wrote all these scriptures? Which has got nothing to do with the point being discussed, which you can say. Don't allow them to go off the point. It's not the point being discussed. Or they'll say that, well, your Krishna was immoral. That's not being discussed. We're not discussing it. We didn't come to that point. We're discussing the point that there is purpose to life. Therefore, one should have. Faith in that. And say, well, your Krishna is wrong. Yeah, but the first two hundred is at this point. And then what is the nature of the absolute truth? That we should see later. First, you should accept that there is an ultimate purpose of life. And that it therefore behooves us to inquire into them. But, as is stated in the verse after this, by Lord Krishna, Agyas Chashavitthamas Cha. Sangshayatma vinashyati, nayang lokos dinaparo, nasukam sangshayatma. Ignorant and faithless persons who doubt the revealed scriptures do not attain God consciousness, they fall down. For the doubting soul, there is happiness neither in this world nor in the next. There are some people who, uh, even if good arguments are given to them, and even if actually they're defeated in discussion, they still don't accept. But still we should be able to defeat them in discussion. So at least uh, if, they, if they refuse to accept the very reasonable proposition that there is an absolute purpose to them, that life is meant for more than simply eating, sleeping, mating, and defending. they don't accept this, then at least we should be able to show that their arguments, which to them may sound like that, this is, this is an undefeatable, they consider their position undefeatable, well, this is just blind faith. And they think that they got you trapped. They think there's no way to demonstrate. They think that there's no way to demonstrate that religion is nothing more than blind faith. Probably because everything they came in contact with previously was just blind faith. But Krishna consciousness is not simply blind faith. Faith is the... Everyone has to have some kind of faith. Every living, everyone, every person has some kind of faith. One is classified according to his faith, that means Tamagunajabhu Sat. So everyone has faith. Just like a man on the train eating his chapatis and chicken has faith that this will nourish his body. So faith is that he has faith that is not poison. Everyone has some faith. He has faith that 
that the train saying he's maybe he's going from Chennai to Mangalore. So he has faith. He bought the ticket and he got on the train. He has faith that this train will reach you to Mangalore. So it seems, so that's a very reasonable faith. So the train goes every day and he says, yeah. everyone accepts that. It's possible that it could take a diversion at Palgat and go to Trivandrum. There's no, there's no expected reason why it should do so. It seems a reasonable faith, you may say, but still it's faith. You have no guarantee. It, it seems unquestionable when you board the train at Chennai, you know, the West Coast Express, and you have your ticket and you have your reservation. It seems unquestionable that the train will, in due course of time, maybe a little late, reach you to Mangalore. Unless there's some... Uh, major disaster like a bridge collapse or something like that. But in, in general, it's uh, it's expected we will reach, so then you'll call on your cell phone to friends in Mangalore that, yes, I just got on the train, please meet me at the station tomorrow at 5.30. It's expected that, please meet me at the train station tomorrow morning at 5.30. There's no guarantee that tomorrow morning at 5.30 the train's going to reach, that I will still be alive, that the train station will still exist, that Mangalore will still exist. No guarantee, never. Someone might have an atomic bomb explosion in Mangalore and finish off the whole place. Don't expect it to happen. But there's no guarantee. It's on faith we phone up and say, please meet me tomorrow morning at the station, 5.30. That's already uh, you know, almost 24 hours away. But we have faith. The train is, I'm on the train. The train is going. I shall go. So everyone has some kind of faith. It's, uh, and according to the expansion of our consciousness, we can uh, expand our faith. Just like the primitive person living in the jungle, they don't have knowledge of science. They don't have faith in science. They don't have knowledge of that. They have no knowledge, they have no faith. They have no faith because they have no knowledge. They have been exposed to such things. But if someone is exposed to such things, then their faith will develop. Because Einstein had faith in principles of knowledge that were not current in human society at that time. Therefore, he was able to pursue his theories and present that to the world. Only because of faith. Einstein's theories, when they were published, there was no experimental proof, and especially we talk about his relativity, relativity theory. There was not, there was no experimental proof at the time to back it up. He presented it on faith only. To him, it seemed reasonable. 
there was, there was no there was no experimental evidence at the time to demonstrate. <laughs> so in the same same way we see that if one's consciousness develops then his his level, his depth of understanding can develop also. Einstein's theories and understandings they are transcendental to that of the ordinary man. Here I'm using transcendental not in the sense that we usually use it which means transcendental the three modes of material nature. But transcend means that which simply goes above and beyond that is the literal meaning. So certainly Einstein's uh, scientific thoughts transcended that of the common man and still do. The common man is still not able to come to the level of understanding what Einstein was talking about. Even the common scientists, for that matter, cannot understand. So, uh, especially when we get into the more subtle areas, then uh, faith will be less and less in in that which we that which we can directly perceive. Generally, those who are against blind faith in religion, they say, "Well, we should just believe what we see." But even in science, the, when we get to the more advanced levels, it's not always what we see. There's, it's also what we, uh, especially in modern quantum theory, a lot depends on what we subjectively feel also. Because reality is not... Reality, especially as we get to, to, to the more subtle levels, is not simply... does not simply consist of that which we perceive by our senses, but also by our feelings of Living being is not simply a, just like you can you can put a a box or just like that. There is this uh, at the airport they have this metal detector, so it can detect metal. Show it around your body. security entrance to temples now and again because some people who have faith in Islam think that they're faith in Islam is better demonstrated by blowing up Hindu temples. So, as a precaution against that, they had these useless checks and they just wave it in front of you and anyone could get in with any amount of bombs. You see, they, they're, they're checks, they're so useless. Anyway, how I'm going on. So a human being is not simply uh, perceiving just like a metal detector. Metal detector, if there's metal, it makes a noise. It has there's some response. But that response is simply mechanical. So a human being is not simply a mechanical 
perceiver of sense perception, human being also has emotions, insight, creative thinking. There is the subjective area also. So, faith is subjective, not objective. But blind faith is that which is wholly subjective. And reasonable faith is that which, as you said at the beginning, has reasoning as its background. It has uh, an objective basis. So faith is required in a sublime principle. Without that faith, one cannot advance in knowledge. That is true in any branch of learning. If you go into the class in school and the teacher says something, which you, uh, in the beginning the, the students won't understand that the teacher has to teach something which they don't know. It means higher than what they know. Something beyond their knowledge. So if they say, well, we never heard that before, we don't believe it. London is the capital of England. Why should we believe you? If you don't believe, then you can't make progress. You can't advance in knowledge. If you say, well, you have to demonstrate to me, it's very difficult to demonstrate, then what do we have to do? Take you to London? And then it's the capital of England. How can you, even if you go to London, how are you going to demonstrate it's the capital of England? Just by being there. Maybe they could take you to houses of parliament and say, well, maybe this is just a big fraud put on just to fool me. You want to fool me that actually London is the capital. How do I know these people are actually the administrators? So if you don't want to believe, you can, you can say, well, uh, there's no end to disbelief. But actually everyone has some level of faith. And those who are more advanced in knowledge, they have higher levels of faith. What we call knowledge, even on the material platform, most of it is faith. It's not. It's just like if someone becomes a doctor, uh, <laughs> studying in the medical college, they don't personally ratify everything that's told to them. If one is studying physics, he doesn't. He doesn't personally go through all the different experiments to ratify everything that's taught him, but he accepts it on faith, not blind faith. There'll be there'll be some, uh, just like in the medical school, they'll, they'll give diagrams, case histories. What are the different What are the different drugs to be used under different circumstances? So, it's, it's a cogent system of knowledge, it all fits together. So people accept it, but it's more or less on faith. This, the medical student reads that, in that uh, prescribed medicine for malaria, commonly prescribed medicine is quinine. So he doesn't go and personally 
check all the different drugs. Make it, for him to go and personally check every single drug and find out which is the best for malaria, it'll take him most of his life. But he accepts on faith. Actually, quinine is not the best. It stops malaria. But uh, at least he knows there's the medicine. There's the medicine. He has faith. And when he accepts that as a, as a fact, then that faith becomes his knowledge. In most, in most cases, there's people say, I want to see what I believe. But in most cases, almost all knowledge is synonymous with faith. Especially knowledge acquired by an academic system. And uh, even, even knowledge that we acquire through our senses, they say, well, I have to see it to believe it. That means we have to have faith in our power of seeing. Faith has to be there somewhere. But our power of seeing, that can be deceptive also. It's like if we see the sun, what will we know just by seeing it? We may think it's some, some big halogen lamp out in the sky somewhere. two, three kilometers, the government put something diligent on every day. Some, some balloon with a halogen lamp which goes sent up in the morning and comes down. We don't know. Just by seeing, what can you say? Just by seeing the sun, one can see. But, uh, we learn from science and from Shastra both that the sun is many times larger than the earth planet. By seeing it, one can understand. But that is accepted as what is called common knowledge. On faith. Not just by So leave us in the Any more questions about this? faith in everything I said. It's fun Unless they're completely stupid, which unfortunately many times they are. They can't follow any kind of If you're selling books, then what point should we give up with useless people? Pretty much immediately. Tell them anyway, look at the books. So if you want to be a really good atheist, you should know all the arguments in opposition to it. So these are, these are pretty good. You can tell them. As far as I've seen, I've studied different religious processes and the arguments are pretty good. So if you want to be a really good atheist, you should know the opposition well. And because they don't want to spend money for the book, they'll make up some money. Well, I'm not. But anyway, selling books, I, like I was telling you, say, I don't speak to people much at all. Maybe when I finished on the train selling books, then I may go back to some more interested people. But interested means they should buy the book. First let them buy the book, then you talk with them. Somewhere. Otherwise, so many people, they like to talk, 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 and in the end, they won't take any book. 
waste your time. There's many people who just get the book and they buy it. They're taking a book is much better than you discussing with them. And they're not taking it. So, what else? How can we learn the traditional system of discussing according to Shastra? Well, it's not that complex. You can uh, see how Prabhupada is discussing. Maybe with that uh, Professor Sital, you can see the signs of self-realization. The thing is that there are not that many people these days who are that much even knowledgeable about such a process. Shastric discussions according to the system of Mimams and Nyai that uh, traditionally that took place in Sanskrit or in Indian languages quoting profusely from Sanskrit. Indian languages means they are based on Sanskrit. But knowledge of Sanskrit was required and, and mostly it, uh, it, it requires a lot of knowledge of Sanskrit word meanings grammar, and so on. So how can you learn this? Well, you have to, you have to learn Sanskrit very thoroughly to even enjoy it. From English you can't do it. But then, uh, it is required that maybe one or two devotees in our movement, just to, just to show that we can discuss with such people, but they're satisfied. It would not require that would be good if some of our devotees could also meet them on that level. Otherwise they think they're superior. But actually, it's just like you see in this area, the, uh, the, the Shankaracharyas and the Madhvaswamis, they've been discussing on a very sophisticated level for generations. They don't change either of them. They'll come together for Shastra discussion. They'll discuss in a very, very, very detailed manner. And then they go away, and they go on doing whatever they're doing. They don't change. So. Better to find some maybe less erudite people just convince them to follow Bhagavad Gita as it is. It will make you more convinced. Maybe, maybe not. Many devotees who learn Sanskrit, they, they get diverted. They think, oh, now I know Sanskrit. And actually, uh, I, I can explain Bhagavad Gita better than Prabhupada. Here he translated it wrong and this and that. So it can be very dangerous also. He has to be careful also. Sanskrit, that's nice, but don't become a useless, puffed up, offensive scholar. There are already enough of them in the world. We don't need to increase the numbers, rather, we need 
devotees like Gopi Bernard Dhammapuru, who comes here every year more or less to come into this area. He uh, he's learned in Shastra, but he has full faith in Sri Prabhupada. He's not blinded by his knowledge into thinking that he's become a greater authority on spiritual knowledge than Srila Prabhupada. Which has happened. Prabhupada's own Sanskrit assistant thought he knew how to practice Vaishnavism better than what Prabhupada was teaching. So now he's a professor at the university, so what is his practice in Vaishnavism? vastly developed knowledge in the Sanskrit. He may think he knows so much, but he's uh, in terms of Sanskrit knowledge, he's uh, compared to the ordinary man, he's far advanced, but then compared to real scholars, he's just a fly. Because uh, real scholars are very few, then to, uh, to, the, to the ordinary devotee community, he looks like he's very learned. A little knowledge and they become very puffed up. So, definitely it is required to devotees become learned in Shastra. At least some, not everyone has that, even academically the capability. Some should do so. But that knowledge is to serve the parampara, not to, not to foolishly attempt to supersede the parampara. Then one simply becomes again a mouse. So, Hare Krishna, I finish here. All glories to Shri Prabhupada.